1: Hi, everybody. We'll go ahead and get started today. Uh, it's July, Friday, July uh, 28th. My name is Ryan Wilk. I'm a partner and attorney here at Ready Newman PC. I'm joined by my colleague and my partner, Stephen Brown. Um, so we'll go ahead and, and hop into the questions. Shruti, if you'd like to open it up to the first caller.
2: Oh, sure. Vinod. Hi, Ryan. Thank you.
1: Hi, yes, sir. Um,
3: I have... Uh, my priority date is March 20, 2014. I, in October 2020, I downloaded from EB2 to EB3. I received the EAD plus the AP card. And uh, and now my date is current in EB2. I have reapplied on June 3rd uh, with 485 and medicals. And it says fingerprinting has applied on June 15th. So actually I have a, I'm working on H1 now. I have a full-time opportunity. So can I use that? ead card to take that opportunity or will be as yeah you, like- sh- you
1: you can you can and i'll kind of explain maybe the not the consequences but maybe just things to keep in mind um so on the eb3 case that you've got really nothing can be done by your current employer so i'll say your current employer being the the sponsor so the one who sponsored that eb three yeah. four eight five. There's nothing that they can do now to maybe pull that rug out from under you. Like they can't withdraw anything. That case is really set in stone. And uh, you'll be able to have any company you want file their own 485J to take over the EB3 case. So that's the EB3. On the EB2, you did kind of a fresh filing. And so from the day you get the receipt notice for 180 days, that EB2 case is, is in a little bit of peril. And by peril, I mean the company, the sponsor can go out and withdraw it. And so if you leave tomorrow and go work on the EAD for this company, B, the result might be company A might say, hey, we're going to pull the sponsorship. Now, nothing happens to the EB3 case, but the EB2 case runs the risk of, of dying, uh, of, of being withdrawn. Um, but that's probably not going to happen. I mean, 1% chance the company probably doesn't even know that they can do that. Um, so just have that in mind. But yes, to answer your question, you can use the EAD. It's really no problem at all um, to do so. It's pretty common.
3: And I'll not be on H1 status again, right? So it'll be on? All-
1: correct, correct.
3: Okay. And is it possible that if I can convert back to H1 again or not?
1: Yeah, it is. You don't you don't kill the H1B or anything like that. Um, the worst case scenario might be you have to go for stamping, but say maybe your I-94 on the H1B is still valid. You know, you can do an automatic revalidation on it if, if you needed to. So you could come back on H1B if circumstances, you know, necessitating you needing to do so. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Randy.
3: Yes, sir. Siddharth? Hello, can you hear me?
1: Hi, yes.
3: Yeah, thank you for talking to us, sir. Uh, In in the month of May, I got an I-140 approved in EB1A. Uh, And in the month of- Congratulations to you. Oh, thank you. So last month, in the month of June, I sent my I-485s for myself and my wife, uh, along with the medical. So the first question is, sir, I haven't received anything from USCIS yet, although it has been about two weeks. And the second question was that I heard uh, Mr. Rahul Reddy talk about this in one of the videos. Uh, will, Will I have any benefit with the new USCIS push to give as many green cards as possible by September? since ed one a is already current. Uh, so okay. that's the that's part I wanted to know.
1: Okay, so first issue is sort of the receipt notices. And so um, what we've been seeing over the last few weeks is a, is a slight delay in USCS providing the receipt notices. So um, right now for you, it is just sort of a waiting game. Maybe the next two weeks, you'll see it. One thing that you can do to be a little proactive to see if it's been um, accepted, so to speak, is is see if they've cashed the checks. Uh, So if, if you put checks in the mail, see if the bank has cashed those. If so, one, you'll know if they're cashing the checks, it means they've accepted it. And two, they're going to typically put a receipt number, like where you and I might sign the check to go cash it. They stamp it and they'll put your receipt number on the back. So that's just one way you can get your receipt number a little bit sooner. Um, and with that, then you can maybe go to USCIS and say, Hey, I never got the receipt notice. Can you guys maybe just s- send it that sort of thing? But what you're experiencing right now, two weeks, it's, it's pretty normal. I wish it was automatic to get these receipt notices. I know it probably causes you some heartburn. Uh, but I would say if you don't see it within the next month, maybe then start not panicking, but give it some notice. But for you being EB1, uh, your date's not going to retrogress. So maybe the thing just got lost in the mail for whatever reason it's not like you're going to be prevented from refiling or just filing a second time, but that's like down the road. Don't worry about it. For the next two or three weeks, just keep an eye on your mail, check with your bank. Maybe once we're done talking to see if they've cashed the check, but you're in a normal space right now. So don't, uh, don't allow that to cause any concern. And then getting to Rahul's point, I think the audience he might've been speaking to was more the EB2 folks. Um, You're EB1. You really don't have any, they don't look at you the same way, so to speak. Uh, being in EB1 and so maybe could you see the approval by the end of the fiscal year yeah I wouldn't be terribly optimistic about that though just because it is a kind of a two-month window but for you you're EB1 it doesn't matter what fiscal year so to speak like you're you're going to get it within the, either this fiscal year or next your EB1 there's really not much to that there's no weight for you and so your biggest weight is going to be one these receipt notices it seems like and then two kind of the normal waiting period for them to just process the 485 you're not in any line you're not in any big weight like, like this EB2 and EB3 guys might be.
3: Oh, thank you so much, So One final question, and I won't take more of your time. Uh, I didn't know, and I wasn't 100% sure if I had to file I-864, which is an affidavit of financial support. There was confusing material about that. So I didn't send mm-hmm. any financial support form with it, but I sent my tax returns and all that kind of stuff with pay stubs. My wife has her own stubs and her own H-1 mm-hmm. visa.
1: No, the is I-864 to... is not... No, it won't be required for employment based side uh like any of those EB1 through 5s there's no affidavit of self supports required uh was this a self petition that you did EB1 in? yes yes
2: or, yes okay
1: yes. yeah yes, and I so the way say. they the way they see it is that you've already proved up kind of you can make the money right and so there is no affidavit of support they they've they've given you the EB1 approval saying hey like, this is a the highly skilled guy he can walk out his door tomorrow and and, and claim a really acclaimed job. And so you don't need to worry about that. That's the big kind of theoretical picture, but in terms of nuts and bolts, no, the, the affidavit of support isn't typically ever included in an employment-based green card case. It's mostly the family-based side. All right.
3: Thank you so much, sir. That's really encouraging. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Ram? Next caller, yeah. please. Ram?
2: Yeah, hi. Um, so can you guys hear me? Yes, Ron. Yeah. Hi. Uh, I, I just have a question about, uh, I, I got my green card. So I want to know, like, if I can do multiple jobs, does this impact the um, anything related so to the green
1: the green card's approved. You've got the green card in your wallet, and everything's done with the 485. It's approved fully? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, you, the way I would want you to consider yourself, take this with a grain of salt, but like a U.S. citizen without the right to vote. So you can have as many jobs as you want, You can work for any employers you want in any location that you want. You are no longer tied to anything to do with maybe the perm employer or even that job. So once USCIS has approved you for the green card, the very next day, if you wanted to, you can go work at the front desk of McDonald's or you can go be the CEO of Tesla and anything in between. As long as the work is legal, you can have as many jobs as you want. You're a green card holder. Um, Like I said, you should think of it being like a US citizen just without the right to vote right and so you can do whatever you're really wanting to again as long as it's legal there is no like a
2: even though the, the, those are full-time jobs i can do like two two full-time jobs which is like which each is like 40, if, 40 if, you hour, if you want to
1: work 80 hours if you want to work 80 hours a week may god bless you uh but yeah absolutely there's no legal problems there
2: okay okay yeah that's that's the only question i have thank you so much sure thanks Ron.
4: Tirumala.
5: Oh, hey, uh, uh, my
6: question is related to the H4 EAD. Uh, So my employer has filed H1 and H4 extension last month, uh, but he's done it on regular processing. Um, So he's asked me to file for EAD for myself, Um, but next week, uh, I had a discussion with him to upgrade it to premium. So should I just wait for filing this H-4 EAD uh, till I get that uh, H-1B approval as he's converting it to premium or can I just go ahead and file it?
7: I'd file it now. Um, It's not gonna matter one way or the other, um, whether it's it's premium or not. I'd file it now, kind of get yourself in the EAD line rather than wait.
6: Okay, so it doesn't matter, um, it doesn't make any difference if my h one is approved or not?
7: No, because you can put in the H1B receipt notice with the um, H4 d application.
3: Okay, sure. Thank you. Ramesh,
4: Yeah. Hey, thank you for the uh, time and opportunity. Uh, my priority date is February 2014 in straight EB3. I filed for I-485 in October 2020 with my spouse and my kid as derivatives. I don't have an option to upgrade to EB-2 and I've used my EAP to travel to India and back. Uh, My dates in EB-3 have retrogressed. However, my wife has EB-2 140 approved through her employer with a priority date of Jan 2015. 2015. So I have two questions. If my spouse's EB-2 dates become current in final action. Do we have to file a new 485 with my wife as primary and myself as derivative? Or could we do an interfile?
1: Um, no, you, you, would to need to, you, you would need to do another 485. The first one, you were the principal. She was the beneficiary or the, the dependent. This one, yeah. the, the roles are reversed. And so, yes, yeah, you would need to file a 485. You would be able to join it. Uh, the issue for you is that you came back in on AP. Um, which probably tells me that she was maybe on, was she on her own H4 or she was using she her was own H1B? On
4: her, she was on her own H1.
1: Okay, perfect. Okay. So what you'll need to do is either come back in on H4 or reactivate your H1B. That way you can join her 485.
4: Okay. Uh, the second question is, if um, when, when does a kid's age get locked as per CSPA? Is it when we file a 485J? 485 or uh, when is it receptor, but when is the actual date uh, when a CSPA. It, is- it is
1: when, okay, so let's one, assume that the 485 is either being filed that day or it's pending. So that's one of the first assumption that we have to operate under, but it's what um, what is the kid's age on the first day of the month that the final action date becomes current? The final action date, not the date of filing. And so uh, if you filed EB2, the final action date's current today. The kids, you know, is locked. Uh, I don't have the data directly in front of me. I don't know if he may have been or she have, may have been locked under EB3 under your case. Uh, but if maybe we're having a question, are we locked? Can we lock? The surest way is going to be through your wife's case.
4: Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Of course. Sachi?
6: Hi, Ryan. Uh, thanks for taking this call. Uh, I have one question. Uh, my priority date is September 2014. Um, my I- I-140 EB2 re- uh, refiling because of the EB3 downgrade and AOS application, we sent it in May, but it, it reached USCS late because of the FedEx delays. Uh, my priority date is current again in July. But right now, my attorney is saying that they may accept uh, our I 140 application at least. So wait till July end um, and then we, we can think over uh, resending I 140 or AOS again. Otherwise, he is worrying that uh, the USCIS may double charge us for both I 140 and I 485. I wanted to mm-hmm. take your advice. Should I wait till July end or since the date is current, I can send both I i 140 filing and I 1485?
1: so i just want to get the background facts straight so that i can give you the, the best information advice that i can so you had i think you said september 2014 was your priority date
6: yeah september so if i and so it, back I'm in
1: sure. 20 you tried to do a, a downgrade back in 2020 and file it yeah. or
6: yeah we okay did so that. you but okay. uh, so you have you
1: have an eb2 on 2 approval on, already
6: eb2 approval was there in 2014 yeah
1: okay and then in 2020, you you wanted to do the downgrade, correct? To correct, the EB-3? Yeah. EB-3. And then it just it arrived late, I'm understanding? Uh-huh.
6: That time, they only approved I-140 because there was a small mistake on- Okay, the so they,
1: they approved the I-140 EB-3? EB-3, yeah.
6: So right, currently, I'm okay, in EB-3
1: for that matter. Okay.
6: In May, my EB-2 priority date was current. So we decided to refile I-140 again along with I-485, AWS application. Okay. We did it overnight by FedEx, but still FedEx took 20 days to deliver the uh, application. to <laughs> I don't know what happened. We tried taking a lot of follow-ups with them, but finally they um, uh, delivered it on June 8th. But in mm-hmm. June, Visa Bulletin, since they made the uh, filing date as the final action date, I was not current in june when my application uh. okay. so my attorney said that they may not accept our i-485 in which they are late but i-140 they may accept so mm-hmm. now it's one month we have not even received any receipt for i-140 No, and i have checked with my employer also uh, they have not encashed any check also but my attorney thinks there are delays at USCIS, so it's better we, if we wait till July 3rd week or 4th week and then take a call whether we
1: want to refile the whole package again. I see, I see, I see. Yeah, that's probably the stickiest situation that you can maybe find yourself in. And the reason is this, is that if the attorney cancels the check or if you cancel the check, USCIS will never take money from that person again in terms of a check. And so it's a real black mark against us if mm-hmm. they try to cash a check that we've canceled out. And so that puts us in scenario two, where you mentioned it, we double pay, where we send, mm-hmm. you know, a few thousand dollars twice, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't anybody, which no one really likes, except for maybe USCIS. Um, and so for me, your I-140 is is fine. Uh, the EB-2, it seems like they should not reject it, regardless of whatever issue may have existed with the delivery and the priority dates retrogressing for the month and things like that now what may occur is that they may say you've sent it to the wrong office i don't know where you may have filed it to um texas so they should take it Mm -hmm. that would be my gut feeling but that's maybe a risk that's run that they're just saying hey it was misfiled to the wrong address and i i wouldn't necessarily buy that but if that's the reality that we face then and they rejected it. So I would say, on the balance, you can likely assume the I-140 will be accepted. The 485 is sort of a coin flip, and I think you you know why. Uh, I would my argument would be that USCA should be taking it, but um, that argument is it's it's a moot point. Um, and so it comes down to what should you do? Uh, I would likely follow the attorney's advice. Um, and wait a little bit of time just to see if it comes back. Uh, now, let me ask one question just so that I'm fully aware. You have a pending 485 under EB3, right? And you uh, want to file a second one? Okay. 485 EB3, they returned because there was a minor mistake on the phone. <laughs> Unlucky. Okay, okay. Um, and so if that's the case, then, mm-hmm. um, let me say this to you. Is the money a problem? And you don't have to answer yes or no. If it's not, send it again. You take the small loss, maybe USCIS cashes that first check from the 485. It's a, it's a case that's filed. There's nothing wrong with having the second case that's filed, but the only risk you're running is the money that you might be flushing away. Um, legally, there's nothing wrong with, you know, this one kind of weird case that's out there sitting and then you and your attorney go out tomorrow and file a second case. Nothing wrong with that, having two 485s, even if it's maybe on the same I-140. Again, you're just paying fees and the government's happy to take the money. For you, it's just, hey, you know, I'm out the cash. And so for you, again, don't answer yes or no. If it's the money's not a problem for you, just file it again. But again, for me, like I don't want to burn a few thousand dollars. So I might wait, but I'm also not in your shoes. I'm not having to wait on filing a 485 for probably a decade. And so that's just kind of how I would weigh it up. Legally, nothing wrong with filing the second 485. It's more on the dollars and cents side. If the money is okay to be spent for you, go ahead. And that's kind of just my opinion.
6: But what about I-140? Is there any issue if we refile I-140 and they say that you have refiled it twice? No, not at all. No, not at all. Not at all. So, so what we are saying is the only risk is the money. rest, there is no risk. Like If they may encourage both the takes, and yeah. even if we provide in cover later all this reasoning why we are refiling, they may not return us the money. That is only mm-hmm. yeah. and the
1: only risk. Exactly. There's no legal risk. It's just money. That's a, that's the end of it. Okay. Thanks, thanks yeah. Of course.
2: Rachna?
8: How are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, so my question is on the H4 EAT visa. Uh, My husband is working for company A on H1B visa and his uh, current validity is till February 2024 and I'm working for some other company on H4 EAD that is also valid, same, till Fab 2024. Now, my husband wants to change his company from A to B, suppose. So because of that, his H1B and my H4 will also get transferred to company B. Uh, Will there be any impact on my current job with the current EAD? that is valid
7: till FAP24? None, as long as he's maintaining status and you're maintaining status, you're, you're able to continue to work.
8: Uh, sorry, can say it again?
7: Yeah, no, no impact at all. As long as you're maintaining okay. your H-4 status, he's maintaining his H-1B status, you could continue to use your H-4, H-4 EAD that you already have. Okay,
2: thank you. Thanks yeah. for clarifying my doubt. Absolutely. Yes, uh, hi. Uh, I have one question regarding interfiling. Um uh, I filed my adjustment of status downgrading from EB two to EB three in 2020 October, and we got the EAD and uh, uh, my son's uh, age got locked. Uh, Now the EB two has yes in EB three. Okay. And but now my EB two is current, and my son is over 21 years old now. So, shall I go ahead and interfile from EV 3 to EV 2
1: Without really digging into your case, I can't give the 100% answer, but I'm going to tell you 99% don't interfile, because you'll kick him out. Uh, My worry is is that how old is your son now?
2: Uh, 21 years, 9 months.
1: Uh, It's, yeah, for me, it's it's not very likely that we could use the EB2 to lock him in. And so if you do the, do the interfile, it's, it's very, very likely going to knock him out.
2: So um, yeah, they will not consider the EB3 as
1: lock? No, they will consider the EB3, but if you're trying to take, uh, doing the interfiling, essentially what you're doing is moving the family's queue from three to two. He qualifies right. under three, no problems at all. Moving to two, i have a 99% confidence that he's going to be knocked out because okay. you're filing it today right like you would be filing it today theoretically Inter-
2: it is not a new filing it is interfiling right
1: correct correct but the the idea is is that the day that you're fi- doing the interfiling that's kind of considered a new 485 it's not a new one but that's how they consider it And so on that day that we file it, they're going to look at, okay, is his priority date current? Yes. What's his age? 21. Now they're going to look at how long it took your I-140 to be approved, EB2, and they're going to subtract that from his age today. And so unless it took your I-140 a year to be approved, you're probably not going to hit the mark. Like if you did your I-140 in premium processing long back, no chance at all. Uh, and so that's why I say you have a 1% chance. Maybe there's some facts that work with me, but for me, I say, keep the family safe, keep EB3.
2: Okay, sure. Thank you. Thank
5: you very much. Sure. Sudhir? Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, my question is regarding uh, my wife's H4 uh, and H4 EAD. So I, I'm on H1B. <clears throat> we both uh, got uh, initial H1 and H4 till August 31st, 2022. I changed my employer uh, and uh, I got an amendment with extension, which is uh, uh, till uh, February, 2023. Uh, But my wife was still uh, till August 31st, 2022. So now she she is about to join a, a new uh, new employment, but her uh, EAD uh, and H-4 is going to expire this August. So I asked for uh, um, filing an extension, but uh, it cannot be started before six months. So which which is uh, causing so how, what what are my options uh, to to extend her uh, H-4 EAD? Uh, till February
7: 23, uh, 2023. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, I missed the first part. Yeah, 20, is your
5: H-1B valid until? My current actual after amendment, now it is valid till February 2023. Yeah. And her H-4 expires in 2022 already? Yeah, 2022 August. So, okay. two more uh, months left. I mean... We have started to hear
7: issues with um, CBP granting the extensions on the I-94 by doing automatic revalidation, Um, so I wouldn't want to suggest that. I mean, if she could get Dropbox before August, that would be great, but I don't think that's going to be an option. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of it is you you just got to wait, unfortunately.
5: Okay. Is, is, there a, is it advisable to go to Mexico, Cancun, and, and travel in back? Will that help? We've started hearing that they're
7: not giving the extended I-94s on those. Um, you know, because she has the I-94 until August, I mean, it's not too big of a gamble if she goes because her worst-case scenario is against the I-94 until August. Um, but just be prepared that she may not get the extended one.
5: Okay. So the the option, uh, there's no other options. So it will expire and uh, we need to file the H4 extension and wait until that. Correct. Totally okay? Right. okay. All right. Thank you.
2: We mm-hmm.
1: we'll do one more call. Hi. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Uh,
8: Thank you for taking my uh, question. Um, so my question is uh, regarding uh, filing I-485 uh, with, uh, with previous employers. Uh, my uh, green card date is, uh, sorry, the, the priority date is current and it has been for like a year. So I'm, I'm in uh, jeopardy with the uh, extensions. My current employer is unable to file the 485 because we're stuck in the perm stage um, so I, uh, from listening to your, uh, YouTube videos, uh, we can file the 485 using a previous employer. Um, so my question is, should I get a, uh, do I need to like, uh, get an offer of employment from them and also ask them to file? Um, the second question is that, uh, if I can't do that, should I re-interview with one of my previous employers? And then, um, along with my H-1B transfer, like ask them to file the 485?
1: Um those, okay. um, those are co- three kind of topics I want to get across. First one will be the easiest is that as long as you're asking for H1B extension with a company, or I should say, as long as you're using an I-140 to get an H1B extension with a company that's not the I-140 company, <clears throat> you're going to probably get a one-year extension. Now it's not guaranteed like it was before your priority date was current, uh, mm-hmm. but you are likely going to be getting the H1B extension. So that's, that's one thing, um, now, the other issue is um, what do you need to do to maybe get, I'll call them company A, that, that old company, to, to file your 485. So let's assume they already have the I-140 done. So that's, that's out the window. What do they need to do? Uh, essentially, what they have to do is that they have to sign what's called a 485 supplement J. There's two uses for a 485 J. We'll talk about one of the uses, and that's to confirm an I-140 job offer. Uh, and so that's what they have to do. So if you go back to them this afternoon and say, hey, you know, will you sponsor my green card? What they have to do is, is sign uh, the 485J. And, and I would prefer that they provide that to you. You take that with your 485 package, your 765, your I-131. You file all that together. Uh, the government won't care that you might not be employed with them any longer. All they want to see is, do you have an approved I-140? Does that I-140 company have the 485J in the file? And is your priority date current? All those three of those things you would be answering yes to. Uh, and so um, do you need like an offer of employment, things like that? Yes, but no. Um, I might want the company to put forward a one-page letter. Like if they were my client, I would write it just saying, Really regurgitating what's in the PERM. This is the job that we're going to offer. This is the location. These are the duties, etc. Put it on their letterhead and then put it in the file. Um, now, what are you saying to the government? What is the company saying when you're signing this 485J in the context of you not being with this company currently? What what all of the I-140, the PERM, the 485, all that is about is I like to think of it as a future job that you're going to take once the green card is approved. And so when you're signing this 485J, when the company is signing this 485J, what they're saying is, once you, the government finally allow us to, once you finally grant the green card, it's our intent to put this guy in this job, in this location. And you're saying the same thing, but you know that company and that job, that location, those sort of things. Um, so that's what you're doing conceptually when you're filing this thing. So to answer your question, to boil it down, what does the company have to do? They have to sign the 485J. There's no filing fees or anything like that. All the filing fees are likely going to come out of your pocket. The 485 uh, fee for you, if you have any spouses or kids, you know their 485 fees, there is no filing fee for the 485J. So that's that. Now, I think there was a third kind of topic. Um, your current company is doing the perm maybe, or maybe a company C or company D is out there. What can they do to file the 485? At this point, nothing. Uh, So Company B, the one that has the current perm done, they need that perm to be approved so that they can file their own I-140 to do anything with a 485 for you. Uh, So that's that. Now, let's say you go to Company A and you get them to sign the Supplement J. That's going to allow you to file the 485. Now, once that 485 is sitting out there, the Company A 485 is sitting and pending with USCIS for six months, you are now vested with what I'll call a certain type of 485J uh, entitlement, a right. I said that there's two uses, right? We mm-hmm. talked about the first use.
0: Yeah. The yeah. second
1: use is what's called job portability. And so what you can do is you can have company B who's doing the perm, you can have company C or company D take over the entire process by just submitting their own 485 supplement J. Again, no filing fees there. And as long as they're offering you a same or similar job, and that's a pretty wide net that USCIS Mm -hmm. allows, as long as they're offering you a same or similar job, they can take over the process. And so for you right now, the only options you have is company A. You go to them, they have to do their own 485 J. You file the 485. At the six-month mark, you can leave them. Now, you don't have to go work for them at all, conceptually, Mm -hmm. but you can take the case somewhere else. You can take the 485 to company B or company C. Um, So if company A is not willing, you're waiting on company B to get the perm done, and the same conversation we're having is now repeating itself. Got it.
8: Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, Really appreciate the answer.
1: Of course, of course. All right, everyone, we'll go ahead and end it here. But uh, every day, you know, we hold the conference call. So we'll be speaking to you guys again next week. I hope everyone has a great weekend. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites